0: Let's continue in prayer as we step back into Ephesians. Lord, we invite you to continue to uh, help us to see your uh, your goodness and providence for us as we um, consider um, this section of Ephesians. Um, yeah, help us to see and to hear. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might.
1: We're continuing today in our series on the armor of God. And in this series, we've uh, been going through each piece of this armor that Paul describes in Ephesians 6. Two weeks ago, uh, we focused on the belt of truth that holds the whole outfit together. And last week, Evan described the the breastplate of righteousness, and he showed uh, how the metaphor is taken from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, describing the, the armor that God himself puts on and that he gives to his people. This is first God's armor, and he gives it to believers to enable them to stand firm. And today, we're focusing on these shoes of peace in verse 15. As shoes for your feet, Paul says, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And these shoes make you ready Uh, for the battle that Paul tells us is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. Uh, You're ready to enter this battle, he says, by putting on the gospel of peace. So what does this teach us today? What does it mean to put on the gospel of peace, like shoes? It means doing three things. Putting on peace, proclaiming peace, and practicing peace. Let's look at each one of these putting on peace, proclaiming peace, and practicing peace. The first thing to say is that when you put on the gospel of peace, like the rest of the armor, and any human ability to achieve peace, let me explain what I mean. A few years ago, I happened to be in Albany, New York, and I visited the 9-11 memorial at the New York State Museum. And when you Walk into the first exhibit there. There's a large quotation uh, printed on the wall uh, from the opening ceremonies and the dedication of the World Trade Center on on April 4th, 1973. The the chief architect gave a speech uh, and he said this. Uh, I put this quote on the reflections page that you can look at later. But here's what the chief architect said at the dedication of the World Trade Center. He said, The World Trade Center is a living symbol of man's dedication to world peace. Beyond the compelling need to make this a monument to world peace, the World Trade Center should, because of its importance, become a representation of man's belief in humanity, his need for individual dignity, his belief in the cooperation of men. And through this cooperation, his ability to find greatness. Now, I'm honestly not sure why the museum would put this quote on the wall. I don't think it's aged very well. But here we are 50 years later. How is our belief in humanity going? Do people even believe in the power of cooperation to bring us to greatness anymore. In 1973, uh, someone could say something like this. And I think it actually seemed like it could be true. At least for, for some people and from certain angles, if you squinted just right, the world seemed to be getting better. It really did seem like we just needed to believe more in our own abilities. And world peace could be achieved. I don't think we live in that world anymore. The Twin Towers are are destroyed. We are reminded every day of the brutality of war. Our society is dominated by division and disagreement. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't aspire to cooperation, but It begs the question, doesn't it? From where do you believe that peace will come? Do we just need to believe more in our own humanity and in our own ability to... The gospel... Is that enough? The gospel offers us an alternative. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In other words, the power that we most need comes from outside ourselves. Our own human abilities and aspirations will never bring the peace that we long for, but in faith, we're invited to look beyond ourselves and our own abilities. In an interview this week in the New York Times Magazine, the National Book Award winner and Iraq uh, war veteran, uh, Phil Clay, was asked about his belief in God, even after his experience of war. The interviewer asked, how do you see God in a war zone? Phil Clay replied, how do you not see God in a war zone? The God I believe in was tortured and died on the cross. God is there when I see another human being and see someone of infinite worth and value. God is there in this infinite horror and majesty of the world. The idea to me that all of this beauty and all of this horror is nothing but mere matter seems ridiculous. I'm deeply convicted by the sense that there's a God whose ultimate experience was to suffer and die to bring forgiveness and unearned redemption. It is deeply, deeply important to me. I don't know what other option there is. Phil Clay shows us what it looks like to put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. To believe in a God who's not far away at a distance, but who comes close and enters into human suffering and the brokenness of our world. To believe in this gospel is not to deny suffering and evil, but it's a way of preparing to face them, to face the world as it really is. And this happens in two ways. First, Christianity tells us that there is a spiritual reality at work in the world. And if we just limit our thinking and our beliefs to this world and our own abilities, we will not have the resources to stand against the powers and forces that want darkness and violence and destruction. You won't be prepared for the moral struggle of our world if you believe that everything can be reduced to just mere matter Second, if you believe the gospel and put on the armor that God gives, peace is not something that we must first achieve. It's something that we receive as a gift. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which we're looking at chapter 6, but if you read through the the whole letter, you find that peace comes up a lot. In the second verse of the letter, Paul declares in his, his opening words, grace to you and Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the very end of the book, in in the second to last verse of the letter, he again, he ends with this announcement of peace. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole letter is bracketed by these announcements of peace from God. And then in the middle, a peace comes up again, especially in in chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul says that Jesus himself is our peace. And because he is our peace, he makes peace, uh, especially between Jews and Gentiles. Those who were bitter enemies, different ethnicities, different social classes, find themselves united in the peace that Jesus has won for all people on the cross. So when you're putting on the gospel of peace, You're putting on the gift of of God's peace. What he's achieved for you and for the whole world. But this doesn't mean that there's not a role for you to play. The the imagery here of shoes for putting on the gospel of peace is very deliberate and it shows how we're all called to participate by proclaiming this message of peace to the whole world. The background for this imagery of footwear comes again from the prophet Isaiah. You know, we've seen this a few times now, how the armor of God is rooted in Isaiah. And our Old Testament reading today was from Isaiah 52. And we heard in verse 7 How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God is of a messenger. The picture in this section of Isaiah is of a messenger coming with a great announcement of peace and good news, gospel, after the Babylonian exile. The messenger announces, God is king. He is victorious over oppression and evil. It's a message of joy and comfort and salvation because God is the world's true king, and the prophet says he will be victorious. In our liturgy today, we're celebrating Christ the King Sunday, and twice a year in the church calendar, there's a special focus on this theme, on the kingship of Jesus, the reign of Jesus in heaven, and I believe that these are some of the most important feast days in the church year. The first celebration is 40 days after Easter. It's uh, Ascension Sunday. And this is following the narrative of the book of Acts uh, because Jesus ascended into heaven you know, 40 days after his resurrection. The second feast day, the second celebration is today, Christ the King Sunday. At the end of the long Pentecost season or ordinary time, the church year ends by remembering once again, that Jesus is king before restarting the year with Advent and with Christmas. The whole calendar is bracketed by the kingship of Jesus. These remembrances are so important because they invite you into a big vision of the gospel of peace. The the gospel that Christians proclaim is not just about a personal relationship with Jesus, though it does include that, but it's the announcement of Isaiah that God reigns. The reason why our world is broken is because it was made to be ruled by him, and we human beings have taken control for ourselves, and we can see the results. But the good news of the gospel is that our world does have a king, and he looks like Jesus. He has chosen to make peace with us through his own suffering, self-sacrificial love. And if this is the gospel of peace to you, not just a private inner peace, but an announcement of God's reign and rule, then you will be ready to declare it to the world like that messenger of Isaiah. And this happens in word as we proclaim those words of good news about what Jesus has done but it also happens God's love for the, by sharing uh, the gospel of announcing God's love for this world in tangible acts of mercy and love like those things that Matthew was opportunities Matthew was sharing with us for us to be involved in our community and share God's love that's what it means to put on this footwear it means that you are becoming a messenger like that one in Isaiah, the beautiful feet upon the mountains are your feet, announcing the good news that Jesus is king, bringing his salvation to the world. Two weeks ago, I mentioned in my sermon uh, the recent conversion of a, a prominent atheist, Ayon Hirsi Ali, and her essay, Why I'm Now a Christian. Uh, Ayon Ali is well known for having converted to atheism from a, a fundamentalist Islamic background, in, Somalia and Kenya. She was a a member of the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, which she rejected to become an atheist. But now she says that her atheism eventually led her to despair in a new search. In a recent interview, following up on her essay, uh, she gave some more details about her journey and and her conversion to Christianity. Uh, She explained that she went through a very personal crisis of fear and anxiety and depression And uh, she went to the very best therapist that money could buy, and they gave her, she said, an explanation of some of the things that she was struggling with, but she continued to have the sense that something was missing. And she described it as a big spiritual hole in her life. She tried to self-medicate. She said that she drank enough alcohol to sterilize a hospital, but nothing helped. She read books on psychiatry and the brain, but none of that helped. There was still something missing. And then here's what she said. It was one therapist who said to me early this year, I think, Ion, you're spiritually bankrupt. And at that point, I was in a place where I had sort of given up hope. I was in a place of darkness, and I thought, well, what the heck? I'm going to open myself to that and see what you're talking about. And we started talking about faith and belief in God, and I explained to her that the God I grew up with was a horror show. He created you to punish you and frighten you, and as a girl and as a woman, you're just a piece of trash. And so I explained to her why I didn't believe in God, and and more than that, why I actually hated God. And then she asked me to design my own God, And she said, if you had the power to make your own God, of of making her own God, and she said, and I was, as I was going on, I thought, this is actually a description of Jesus Christ and Christianity at its best. And so instead of inventing yet another new God, I started diving into the Christian story. And so far, I like this story as I explore it. The more I look at it, the more I no longer have this need, this void. I feel like I'm going somewhere. There are two things about this story that I think are are valuable for us to to think about. First, uh, when someone tells us they don't believe in God, it's always good to to ask them uh, to tell you what kind of God they don't believe in. Uh, You know, I find that I, I usually don't believe in that God either, and it, it, opened up, it opened up an opportunity for us to, to talk about the God we do believe in, who looks like Jesus. And second, as we approach this uh, Christmas season, it's good for us to remember that there are so many people like Ion Ali in our neighborhoods, in our classrooms, in our workplaces, in our families. People who know that something is missing and they're waiting for someone to invite them to take a step of faith, and kind of like Ion's therapist. We can be those people. You know, and we have, some, we have some great opportunities coming up as a church to invite someone to take a step like that. You know, Our Christmas pageant and, and carol sing on December 9th, the, the lessons and carol service on Christmas Eve, uh, these are great opportunities for us to celebrate and rejoice as a church family, but they're also... Wonderful opportunities to invite someone to come and to explore the Christian story, uh, maybe for the first time. We said today that when you put on the armor of God, you believe and proclaim the message of God's peace. And when you know that you have peace with your Creator, a Creator who came and experience this world with all its trouble and its problems and its hardships, then you can practice peace in a world of hardship and and difficulty too. You can make peace with others. If God was willing to make peace even at the greatest cost to himself, then you also will be willing to make peace. The gospel teaches us that No peace will come without suffering and sacrifice. That he was willing. But if you believe that Jesus was so committed to making peace with you that he was willing to suffer and lose his life on the cross, then how could you not try and make peace with others? Let me close today with an illustration of what this can look like. A few years ago, I heard a a story on the NPR program StoryCorps uh, about about peacemaking. A woman named Mary Johnson led a, a conversation, an interview, with her son's murderer, and how she had come to forgive him. On February 12, 1993, at a party in Minneapolis, uh, Mary Johnson's son was shot and killed by a 16-year-old young man, Oseia Israel was his name. After being arrested and and tried for the senseless murder, he received a a 25-year sentence. And Mary Johnson was just devastated by her son's death. She said, at the trial, I hated O'Shea. I thought he was an animal, and he deserved to be caged. I was so angry when the judge charged him with second-degree murder instead of first-degree. I became a recluse, and I couldn't look at my son's photos. But then, After 10 years, something began to change in her. She said, after so many years, I knew as a Christian woman, I had to forgive him. And so she made made plans to go and to see O'Shea in prison. Uh, She said, before the visit, I prayed and I went on a 21 day fast. We talked for two hours and I realized the similarities O'Shea shared with my son. He wasn't a boy anymore. I was talking to a man now. I told him I forgave him, and I said, I let you go. It was over. As I was leaving, he asked to give me a hug. I cried and started to fall, but he held me up. I felt something move up my body. All of the hatred and bitterness left my body. On the foundation of this this profound act of forgiveness, Mary and O'Shea stepped into a new relationship. After 17 years in prison, O'Shea was paroled, and the two of them went on to speak together in communities about forgiveness. O'Shea actually moved in next door to Mary Johnson, and they saw each other almost every day. O'Shea said, She'll fuss if I don't call, and I take out her trash. And Mary concluded the interview by saying, Some people think I'm psychotic for doing this, but I view us as mother and son. I wear a locket, one side has a picture of me and my son, the other side has Oshea. Story like this possible. This is a picture, I believe, of what it means to put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We can forgive generously and freely because there is a God who has forgiven us our sins first. In the gospel, you are invited to believe that around God's neck is a locket, like Mary Johnson's. One side has a picture of his son, and the other side has your picture. If you have a peace like this with God, then you can be a person of peace. We can be a community of peace. Some people will think we're psychotic for doing this, this is not a simple answer to the world's problems and the conflicts that rage all around us. But I am inviting you today to believe and to live into the reality of God's peace in the place where he has put you. And then leave the rest up to him. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, these were his words. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He offers you his peace. He sends you in his peace. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father, we look to you today honestly confessing our weakness and our need, uh, knowing that the only help that Uh, that will meet the the struggles of our world, the struggles of our own lives, must come from you. And so we place our faith today in in your power, and we ask you to give us the assurance of your peace in Christ, that we might know that we uh, have been made whole in him, that we have your righteousness, that we have your love, and that we are free to be your ambassadors of peace uh, in this suffering world. Send us in in the power and in the peace of Christ today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.